It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Ronna McDaniel, Chairperson, Republican National Committee. Welcome to the Hemmer Time podcast. I'm so excited to be here. It's, I think it's my first time on Hemmer Time. Well, I think I've got a million questions because I'm at that board on election nights and I'm like studying this stuff all year long. So you're like the perfect guest for me. So thank. I mean, it's almost like a preview. It's almost like Fox NFL Sunday. It's almost <laughs> like cue the music for the theme song for Fox NFL Sunday. I mean, this stuff matters now, so... I like that. I've never had that theme song, so... I like that. We'll break it down, we will play get, by play. We will get your counterpart on at a time to be determined later. But, uh, you know, coming on the heels of Virginia and New Jersey and the rest of the country, I don't want to go too far before I get your perspective on where you think we are as a country, where you think you are as a party when it comes to the balance of power in the midterms 12 months from now. So then... Here's where I want to start. Well, wait, by the way, that music's great, isn't it? So preview so for me. Give me your forecast for how many seats you honestly think you can target in the midterms in the House of Representatives. Oh, well, I think we're going to target upwards of 47. That map may have expanded after Tuesday. Some of it is going to depend on redistricting. We still haven't seen maps out of uh, New York final maps, new final maps out of California. So that's going to determine a lot of that as well, too. And a lot of that's going to be litigated. We already have Illinois in the courts. So but I'd say, you know, up, up around upwards around 50 seats will be targeted. OK, so coming off the heels of the vote in Virginia, before I go into the nitty gritty of the rural vote in southwestern Virginia or mm-hmm. what the percentage was in the northern counties of Virginia, did your map expand or stay the same since the vote it, as of last Tuesday, a week and a half ago? It expanded. The map expanded. Mm-hmm. I mean, let, let's put it this way, Bill. We had pretty much a uh, a close, close race in New Jersey in a state that Biden won by 16 points, right? Statewide. And I think any single Democrat incumbent right now that won by 16 points could be vulnerable. And that's what we're going to look at. Okay. Now on the Senate side, um, 50-50 in the Senate, House, Democrats have an advantage of four seats, let's say, at the moment. Senate side's 50-50. How many targets do you believe today are truly up for grabs? Well, we have a lot of holds, right? So with Toomey retiring, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, Missouri, North Carolina, Wisconsin, even uh, if Ron John runs or not, that's going to be battleground. So we got to hold those. I'd say there's four really strong targets, Georgia, New Hampshire, Arizona. Um, and um, and we're going to be looking out at uh, Nevada. And then also we've got a great candidate in Washington State, Tiffany Smiley. So, you know, we've got about four or five solid targets. We need one and we need to hold everything. Okay. So what what I have read a lot this past week, Chris Sununu, a popular governor, New Mm -hmm. Hampshire, uh, a lot of people thought he was going to break and run for the Senate and he will not, he will try and retain his position as governor, New Hampshire. How big of a blow is that to you? 
So I didn't think Chris was going to run for Senate. Uh, just personally, I'd been in New Hampshire a lot over the summer, and I know a lot of people in that area, and I just wasn't seeing that. Uh, one is him being on the ballot. Governors in New Hampshire run every two years, so he will be on the ballot at running for governor in 2022, which is a, a, a good thing for our party. Uh, I do think the field was a little paralyzed because everybody is waiting for that announcement. I'm glad he finally made it. We'll get a good candidate. We'll get a good candidate. Mm -hmm. And Hassan is very, very vulnerable mm -hmm. in, New in New Hampshire. We also had some big wins in New Hampshire on Tuesday night, uh, a key mayor seat. So we feel good about New Hampshire. Uh, the Democrats are saying your candidates in states like Missouri, are, they're vulnerable. They've got some baggage with them. How do you defend against that in a state like Missouri or even perhaps I mean, Georgia? Missouri's field is so massive. We've got, you know, two sitting Congress people running. You've got the attorney general uh, you've got the former governor. I mean, you've got a huge field in Missouri. Uh, Democrats are having competitive primaries, too, in states like, you know, North Carolina and in Pennsylvania. Uh, we just don't know how it's going to play out. I, Missouri, I think, is a state that we're going to keep hold. I mean, Missouri's been trending very, very red. Uh, ultimately, the voters are going to decide. From an RNC perspective, I can't wait for those primaries to play out. We don't play in primaries. And we're building the ground game for the general, and that's always our focus. Okay, so I was looking at Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania. He wants to be a senator. He's from Western PA, the Pittsburgh area. I want a house yeah. seat a time or two. He sent out a message the other day. He said, if you want a senator who runs as a socialist, feeds the GOP attack ads, and did not help with infrastructure, I'm not your guy. That's not how you beat Republicans. I know because I've actually done it and will again. I'm a normal Democrat who supports jobs and wins elections. And votes with Nancy Pelosi pretty much 100% of the time. But the, fra so, the, the phrase, you know, Connor Lamb is, you know, he is a progressive in, I don't know, sheep's clothing. I, I, I think, you know, Connor Lamb, that shtick worked for him the first time when he was running uh, in that special election. I think now he has a record that's much harder to make that case now that he's been in Congress. I mean, remember, he was one of the ones who was waffling. I don't know if I'll support Pelosi as speaker. And sure enough, the second he got in, he was in lockstep with Pelosi. And just like many of these uh, moderate or so-called moderate Democrats are, it's not going to work in this midterm. Okay, Abigail Spanberger is another moderate Democrat, Virginia, yep. District 7, near Richmond, Virginia. And yep. I, her quote to the New York Times, I think has been quoted a thousand times. She, she said, nobody elected him, meaning Joe Biden, to be FDR. They elected him to be normal and stop the chaos. I just want to key in on two, two lines here. Connor Lamb said, I'm a normal Democrat. Yeah. Spanberger says they elected him, meaning Biden, to be normal. Why does the word normal come up in both of their messages? Well, because I, I think they just saw a common sense election. I mean, if you look at why Youngkin won, if you look at what's happening with Republican messaging. I mean, we're, we're standing by the police. We're talking about parents having a say in their kids' education, especially coming out of a pandemic where parents were really on the front lines, getting their kids on those Zoom classes and dealing with all the issues. I'm, I'm one of those parents. Um, and then we're dealing with, we're talking about inflation. And I think they're trying to separate from this really extreme part of their party that did embrace defunding the police, that did say parents are domestic terrorists for going to PTA meetings. So they're trying to normalize and come to that common sense. But 
Uh, I think the voters really, really recognize that the Republican Party is where the majority of the country is. We expanded our map and we also dipped into the suburbs again. And Amanda Spamberger knows this better than anyone. If you look at those suburbs of Richmond, you look at Ch- um, Chesterfield County, you look at Enrico, we had gains. And I think those sub- suburban voters are coming back to the Republican Party okay. in this election. Yeah. Show Interesting. Also, you got the infrastructure vote. I mean, it's still fresh in our minds. And maybe Build Back Better happens. Maybe it doesn't. I really don't have an answer for you on that. But you brought up Virginia. So let's dive in. Uh, okay. the, uh, your, your committee, the RNC, sent me this key takeaway from the election. I'm just going to read the opening line. The key takeaway from Tuesday is simple. Voters have had enough of Joe Biden and Democrats' far-left policies, and a red wave is coming to sweep them out in the midterms next year. All right, maybe some of that is hyperbole, but certainly that's your sales pitch. Sell it. You know, you look at Virginia, you look at battleground counties, bellwether counties. You know this, Bill, you're at the board, Chesapeake. Uh, Yonkin won Chesapeake County in that Norfolk area by six points. Um, Trump lost Chesapeake by seven. Youngkin won Virginia Beach by eight points. In 2020, we lost by five. I mean, every single county that was bellwether in Virginia, we did better in. But it's not just Virginia. And I know we're talking Virginia right now. It's Pennsylvania. It's Maine. It's New Jersey. I mean, the things that we saw across the country, it's the Hispanic vote. It's getting back the suburban vote. I think we're on the precipice of a red wave. And we were seeing this before last Tuesday, right? We were seeing this in Texas 6. We were seeing this in the McAllen's mayor race, an 85% Hispanic area. Hidalgo County went for Biden by 17 points, and we flipped it. Um, That was a year ago, and we're already gaining at at that level. So these are really, really um, key indicators and signs heading into 2022, and we're seeing inflation continuing. We saw that yesterday. People are really feeling the things we're talking about. They're not hypothetical things that the Republicans are talking about. We're talking about things that average Americans are seeing at their grocery stores, in their schools, and it's resonating. Mm-hmm. One thing that struck my attention on election night, deep into the night, just looking at the counties in southwestern Virginia, uh, Yunkin did very well. But Donald Trump did very well there, too. Um, I, I don't think Yunkin matched the raw vote total of Donald Trump. Um, but he's up over 80 percent in a lot of the rural counties. But so, too, is Trump. So I, I, w- what does that tell you? Trump's not on the ballot, but still Yunkin is doing very well there, I would say. Well, I'd say it's two things. I mean, Trump was involved in Virginia, and I think that's undervalued that he was doing tele-rallies, targeted rallies to his voters to turn them out. It also shows you that as much as people talk about division within our party, we're very united against what the Democrats are doing. So we may have internal division, but we're coming together and the energy that we're seeing is actually keeping the Trump coalition intact. And he helped with that heavily in Virginia, especially in those rural counties. The other thing I think is interesting about Virginia is everybody's talking about Trump 2020 in Virginia. You know, Trump didn't have really a a full-fledged operation in Virginia. It wasn't one of the states on his map. So a lot of that turnout for him was just organic. So the fact that Youngkin was able to keep that engaged. Now, Youngkin did campaign, and we absolutely went after those Trump voters. But that was critical, and we we were waiting to see if they would turn out at the same level, and that's a good sign for yeah. 2022. What does he contribute 12 months from now? What's his role? What does he do? You know, he's clearly, I mean, I think every poll and every every metric you see, he's incredibly popular with our party. 
and he's going to be critical to get his base out. And I, I, I always use this analogy of you look at races where we lost in 2018, where Trump's name wasn't on the ballot, but he was in the White House, right? Um, we, we had what we call disengagers, people who voted for Trump but left in 2018 for uh, races like Claudia Tenney, Young Kim. Well, both of those candidates ran again in 2020. Trump is on the ballot in 2020, and both of them win. So it is going to be very important for Trump to be out there helping turn out his voters that are Trump voters for these midterms. You see him on the stump? Does he go to appearances? Does he go to rallies? Yeah, I do. I do. That'll mm. be something to watch. <laughs> um, really um, very, very interesting. Democrats will make him a target. We'll see how that works out. Chris yeah. Wilson, uh, Republican, who writes for the Washington Post this past week, he did a, he filed a piece, I should say. And this paragraph really struck me, and I want to understand it. He wrote specifically in Virginia, we targeted 390,000 Asian American voters, including 2,172 Polynesian voters and 5,457 Central Asians and 66,914 Middle Eastern voters with a vote goal for each group as well as a plan to reach them. And we did the same for Latinos. That, what is that? That, that is micro-targeting. Uh, micro-targeting. Um, exactly what we do. I mean, but how many of those votes did you win? And if so, um, did you win them or did you lose their vote in Virginia? So, well, we know with the Hispanic vote that Youngkin won by about 11 percent. We don't have all the, the data back yet. Um, we know that Youngkin received 13 percent of the black vote. Trump received about 10 um, we know that we're seeing huge gains with um, especially immigrant communities as a party. And this is a big push of the RNC. We've opened, we will have opened 25 engagement centers across the country. I was in one in Doral yesterday in Hispanic area, Asian, African-American outreach. And the message we're hearing loud and clear is, especially uh, people who've left their countries, they left everything behind. They came to America legally and they say, I worked hard. I didn't expect a handout. I love this country. And I'm seeing things happening in this country that remind me of where I left and the fears uh, and the things that I fled. And I'm very worried that this is where our country's coming. And I, I heard it in Doral yesterday with Cuban Americans. I left the states, uh, Cuba, when they had empty shelves. You couldn't buy products. The gas lines were huge. You couldn't get gas. Um, our, our opportunities were limited. The government had total control. Government control is a big issue. And that is where we're seeing gains in our party. Uh, and you see it. You see it with the people we've elected. Look at Tony Gonzalez in the um, Del Rio area. In the southern area of Texas, you look at Young Kim, Michelle Steele, the first two Korean-American women. Our candidates are representing the, these communities where we are seeing the most growth in our party. Mm, very interesting. I wonder what the Democrats have to say about that. It'd be very curious to line up these two conversations. Want to get a moment to do that. One moment. Hammer Time continues after this. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Back with Ronna McDaniel, chair of the Republican National Committee. You don't stop, by the way, do you? You're out there raising no. money. You're traveling. I mean, what's your son think about that? Um, he's good. I mean, it's it's harder sometimes. This I had a rough week last week. I was on the 
uh, rode four days, but um, last night I got in at one in the morning and gave him a kiss and he got him off to school and he said, are you going to be here when I get home from school? And I said, you betcha. So wow. I'm home for a few days. That's cool. Enjoy <laughs> Enjoy that while you can. Infrastructure yeah. now. You had yeah. 13 Republicans vote with Democrats to push that $1.2 trillion bill over the finish line. Uh, is that going to work in their favor or against those 13 next year? I've heard a lot about it. I mean, it's definitely something that I hear about from the grassroots and from our investors. You know, why can't we all just stay together? And Democrats seem to do that. I don't know. I think the jury's out on that. I mean, you had three of them that were retiring, Reed and Kinzinger and and um, Gonzalez from Ohio. And um, some of them said, well, they had the three votes they needed and I needed to uh, do what I needed to do in my state of Andrew, who's in a really tough district, Maliotakis. Um, there's there's going to be blowback and they're going to see it from their own party. They're already seeing that. Um, from my eyes as the party chair, uh, we've got to keep our eye on the prize, which is winning those five seats to win back the House and one to win the Senate. The rest will work itself out. Uh-huh. Kinzinger retires, knew that. Reed retires, you say, from New York. And yeah. Gonzalez retires from Ohio. From Ohio. Three of the 13 there. There are 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump. What's, yes. their, what's their fortune hold, do you think? Again, a lot of retirements among that group as well. But, you know, you're probably everybody's going to be watching the Liz Cheney matchup with Harriet Hageman and and Wyoming. Uh, It's a great thing for me to be neutral, which the party does. But of course, I hear from the grassroots. I think a lot of them are going to have challenges in the primary. Um, And a lot of it stems from a frustration that, you know, Democrats always stick together and they feel like Republicans um, don't. And that's what I hear mainly from from our grassroots when I travel the country. Like, why do we give the Democrats an end? They never do anything. They watch Nancy Pelosi rip up the State of the Union behind Trump. They watched investigation after investigation, especially now as we're seeing what happened with the uh, the Steele dossier, which was paid for by the DNC. And they're really frustrated. They feel like, you know, Republicans need to do a better job sticking together. I get to be Switzerland and bring the warring parties together after the primary and make sure we focus on beating the Democrats. Mm. Another question here. Dana Perino, my, my lovely co-anchor, you know her, yes. her well. We love and Dana. She's got a great IQ when it comes to politics. I said, I'm going to talk to Rana today. So what's your, what's your killer question for what you want to understand about what she is, what you're doing? And she had mentioned this initiative that I believe you started outside of Washington, D.C., and outreach to minorities kind of goes a little bit to the question I asked you about Virginia a bit earlier today. What is that? So for me, this is a passion point for me, and it's it's something that I'm afforded being a chair for five years. A lot of times chairs are thinking one year, two year election based, but we're not making long term inroads in communities that have habitually been Democrats. So it's something I started five years ago. Being in communities year, a year out, making it a conversation. How can we better serve you as a Republican Party? What are the things that we're not doing to represent the Hispanic voters or Vietnamese or Korean or Black uh, voters and really being part of that community long term? And I, I love it. I go to these offices as we're opening them. We're hiring people from within the community. It is a conversation but it's also paying dividends. And you'll see an example of that from last Tuesday, John Lujan, who won in San Antonio. He was at our office opening in San Antonio. We have a Hispanic office there. 
He was there. He was at that office the day before his election. That's an area where Biden lost in that district, House District 118, by 14 points. But Biden won that by 14 points, and we just flipped it. It's also in a key congressional seat for 2022. So it is strategic, but it's also meaningful because we have to start growing our party so it looks like the country that we live in. Mm-hmm. And that is an initiative that I'm very passionate tell, about. And what, it is a long-term plan. You tell me about that district again. Who who lives there? It is, um, it's a it's a 75% Hispanic district. I could be wrong. It's Tony Gonzalez's yeah. district in San Antonio and John Lujan just flipped it. Okay. All right. So we'll put a target on that. But you said at the beginning of our conversation that you have 47 targets in the house. Now, Rana, how am I going to learn all that stuff? <laughs> what do you mean? You want me to send it to you? I can send you. Our... <laughs> That's okay. That is our work to be done. And um, what I really like to do maybe in six months from now is check back in. Because, yeah, you know, these, these events have a way of changing um, elections and politics and issues in your own direction. And by then, probably we'll know about the core challenges to the, um, uh, the redistricting. So if that's cool with you, I'll be in touch then. And until then, mm, what, what, what then, Rana, in the closing moment we have here, what do you do over the next week, over the next month? H- have, have you changed the way you do your job since the results of last Tuesday in early November? I wish I could say I I change it. I don't, um, but I will raise more money. (laughs) I mean, you've got to capitalize when you win. It creates an an energy out there and you've got to get those investors engaged. I mean, money is a big part of politics and it takes a lot of money to win. And that's what I'm doing. I was in, a, you know, on election night, I was in LA fundraising. I was in Las Vegas the next day. Yesterday I was in Naples. Then I was in Miami. I mean, I'm traveling the country, meeting with people constantly bringing investors on board and Virginia and New Jersey and Pennsylvania, which I don't think is getting enough note. The win that we had in Bucks County and those collar counties, uh, the Supreme Court seat that we won there statewide. We have some real bellwether races that has injected a lot of energy, not just into our grassroots, but also into our investors. Mm-hmm. What happened in Bucks County? Refresh my memory. We, we flipped it. I mean, we we flipped it at, you know, that is a, you know, the map, Bill, yeah. that is a key, key county um, in the suburbs of, of Philadelphia yes. and Bucks County went Republican. Not only that, we got four county officials elected in Bucks County. So it was it was a big win for yeah. us. You're talking about raising money. Listen, all sides want to do it. Uh, final question here about the truck driver in New Jersey who knocked off uh, Sweeney, the Democrat who had been in the, mm-hmm. the, the state Senate for 30 years, a really powerful yeah. guy. No one saw that coming. I think the truck driver spent 153 bucks on his campaign. Amazing stuff here. But as I was looking at the map late on election night, what I saw is that... Um, Chitterelli turned out a lot of voters in a place called Gloucester County. Why do I mention that? It's south of Camden. It also covers largely the third legislative district where Sweeney um, is from. And Chitterelli really drove up his numbers. I'm going to guess, Rana, and I say over four years ago, the last governor's election, he was up 30,000 raw votes, I think, which is significant for just one part of the state. But yet the polling... Even right down to Election Day in New Jersey, had this thing, you know, 10 points in favor of of Murphy. 
And then Monmouth, the polling agency, came out two days later with an enormous mea culpa. I blew it. Um, I'm sorry. Big apology to the parties, to the voters, et cetera. And the reason I bring that up is because like, this, this is your game. And yeah. when, when a poll says it's 10 points, it chases voters away on both sides. It chases yes. money away on both sides. And it chases the money that comes from out of the state away on both sides. So how, how do you how do you feel about that in in hindsight or retrospect getting that mea culpa? Yeah, and it's and it's even harder for Republicans because Bill, you know this, Democrats vote more by mail and absentee and early vote. So it's hard for us to anticipate what is that surge on election day going to be for us. So if that polling's wrong. Um, it's a it's a problem. It was wrong in New Jersey. It was wrong all the way through. I will say the campaign had it closing. We saw it closing. I went and campaigned with Jack in Medford. Uh, I was blown away by the energy I saw on the ground. We actually put a couple hundred thousand in after um, extra in. We were heavily invested in New Jersey. Um, and, you know, I just went to my team. I said, we got to put more in here. Something's going on. But that was just gut. That wasn't based on numbers. And I think uh, we've got to look at that and recognize there are serious deficiencies in polling. And right now, it's Republicans that are getting underpolled, maybe because they're reticent to talk to pollsters or, or things of that nature. Our data on Yunkin was spot on. I mean, we knew we had a million absentee early votes in the bank. We knew uh, we were expecting about a 2 million, 2.3 million vote, voter turnout on Election Day. We had him winning about 40 by 40,000 on election day, he ended up winning by 60,000. So our data in, in Virginia was, was better. Um, and New Jersey was off and we got to figure that out. Mm, very interesting. Thank you for your time. I know how busy you are, but, uh, I want to understand. I love this stuff. I love weeds talk. <laughs> yeah. Nobody talks in the weeds with me. It's, yeah, it's like right. heaven. I like being, I like being a geek too. So thank you. For, I'm a total geek. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for engaging me. Ronna McDaniel. Great to talk to you. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you for your time. And we will speak again very soon and see whether or not you're right or not. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Bill. I'm Bill Hemmer. And this is Hemmer Time. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.